Gigi, you need to tell your joke. Your ducks. What do you get if you throw a duck into a cement mixer? Quacks in the pavement. <laughs> That's good. You need to have your phone ready to get reaction. You know what? <laughs> That's good. Quacks in the pavement. That's funny. Okay. Now, so again, we're out of order, so for our viewers, uh, especially on Facebook, because on Facebook, they'll need to know that this is, was supposed to be last week uh, on the website. We'll get that fixed. But um, we're, we're going to read a story. I love this story, actually. And uh, I'm, I'm going to call, it, it's probably Ben Haddad or something. But I'm going to call him Ben Hey Dad, because <laughs> I think that's funny. Uh, but we're in 1 Kings chapter 20. So last week we were in 21. So we're just going back. This is post-Elijah and Elisha, right? And uh, Ben-Hadad was the king of Syria. And in verse 1, he had gathered all his army together. 32 kings were with him. So 32 kings. So he's got his army on top of 32 other kings. Now, back then, you did have kings that were over nations. You know, we saw like, you know, the Pharaoh over Egypt and things like that. But also you could have city kings. City, you know, they were called uh, state kings maybe. Or, uh, so Territories, you see, I think. Mm -hmm. At least that's the way in England I know they had. Yeah. Well, and back then they actually had kings over cities. Mm -hmm. We know um, Abraham and the kings came out from the cities and blah, blah. So city states, that's what I was looking for. City states, then you had territorial and then you had those that were over entire nations. Yeah, I think that's where the high king. Uh, Wasn't there okay. uh, the Spartans and who'd they fight? The Spartans fought, was it the Greeks? Everybody, I thought. Because, <laughs> yeah, because Sparta was actually a city. That was it. And they had their own government, and that, that's all they did is fight. Mm -hmm. That's what they were trained from the time they were little. But it might have been the Greeks that they, they fought. But anyway... So here we've got these 32 kings, and uh, they're joining forces with them. They've got their horses and the chariots. And so uh, Ben-Hadad went up. He closed in on Samaria, and he fought against it. And he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your best wives and ch excuse me, children are also mine. Mine. Okay, so we already have a problem. The Bible says that the silver and gold are God's. So now he's accidentally picked a fight with God. What you doing? Looking ahead. That's why you don't get to have your paper like everybody else, all the other people in the room. Okay, and then it says, And the king of Israel answered, As you say, my lord, O king, I am yours and all that I have. So he's answering his enemy softly, right? Because he doesn't want to provoke uh, him right then. So the messengers came again and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, I sent I to you saying, Deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and the children. Nevertheless, I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the house of your servants and lay hands on whatever pleases 
you and takes uh, and take it away. Okay, so um, Samaria is the capital of Israel. We're now post uh, Jeroboam, right? So we've got Ahab as king over Israel, and then we still have the southern kingdom of Judah. So basically he's saying, I'm going to come in and I'm going to pillage you and there's nothing you can do about it. One thing that's important to keep in mind back then, and we'll see that this in this story, and that is this wasn't a fight just between kings and people. Back then it was a fight between their god, gods, and your god. Okay, We're seeing that develop very quickly in America. Um, where we're getting back to more of an idolatrous type mindset among the people. That's what happens when you remove God out of everything. Um, but wokeism, liberalism is a religion. They have their confessions, they have their priests, they have their prophets. And so there's an, uh, a clear attack against Christianity in this country that's being waged. So keep that in mind as we read the next section. So in verse 7, it says, the king of Israel, he called all the elders of the land and said, Mark now and see how this man is seeking trouble. For he sent to me for my wives and children and for my silver and my gold, and I didn't refuse him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen and do not consent. So he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king all that you first demand of your servant I will do, but this thing I cannot do. In other words, I'm fine giving you my, my money, but I cannot hand over my family. The messengers departed and brought him word again. Benadad sent to him and said, The gods do, to, do so to me and more also. If the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people who will follow me. So the king of Israel answered, said to him, uh, answered, Tell him, let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. When Benadad heard this message as he was drinking with the kings and the booths, he said to his men, Take your positions. And they took their positions against the city. What? What on earth? What does that mean? Okay, so I had to look this up. <laughs> I had to know, what is going on here? Okay, so I'm going to read this out of the commentary. Uh, can you give me a tissue? Thank you. Okay. So Ahab's, I'm just going to read it from the notes. Ahab's northern kingdom of Israel must have been quite strong at the time. For Benadad sought to overtake it with an allied army of th 32 tributary kings along with horses and chariots. So that sounds like what you were talking about, where there were like several, like probably governors, and they're joining forces under Benadad. And so his first objective was to lay, lay siege against Samaria, the city from which Ahab ruled Israel. During the siege, he sent messengers to King Ahab demanding the surrender of his silver, gold, wives, and children. And initially he agreed. Yet when Benadad's messengers came back to Ahab announcing that the next day they would arrive and seize everything of value, Ahab decided to seek counsel from the elders of the land. The elders advised him to refuse his demands. So then, when Benadad received the news of his refusal, he sent the following ominous warning. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if enough dust remains in Samaria to give each of my men a handful. So that's what that means. In other words, I'm going to wipe the earth with your face. Okay. So Ahab maintained his ground and sent back to Benadad the following message in the form of a proverb. One who puts on his armor should not boast like one who takes it off. Now more about his wife saying in a moment, but let's first conclude the battle narrative. Okay, so again, what does this mean? Well, the commentary goes on and it says, 
One who puts on his armor should not boast like the one who takes off. Sounds like a common saying, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Okay? So we're also familiar with, if you've done it, it ain't bragging. Problem was, Benadad had not quite done it yet. So the biblical narrative paints a very proud picture of Benadad as he makes demands of King Ahab and prepares to march into Samaria to take what he desires. No doubt he has been puzzled. He must have been puzzled by Ahab's bold reprimand. He made one tragic blunder. He forgot that Israel, even though rebellious, was still a nation that belonged to God. Okay? So I thought that was interesting so don't count your chickens before they hatch in other words you're talking a lot of smack but it may not turn out how you think and i like you know like a lot of times there's been a few people like in street outlaws or ufc where they would talk a lot a lot of smack and you took to heart what they said because they could usually back it up very well then you would have the other ones they're talking smack and it's all mind games they get in the thing and you're like you know, why are you even, you know, racing? Why are you even in the UFC? So that's kind of what's going on here is you haven't proved anything yet. Well, and Satan does this to us is he intimidates with these great big huge amounts of threats yeah. and well I'm gonna do this and this is what's gonna happen and, and we take it sometimes we just take it in and don't counter it. And you know what's shocking? Is Elijah took it in when Jezebel threatened him and Ahab did not take it in when Ben uh, Ben and Dad threatened him. That's kind of an indictment. You know what I mean? It's like, and the only thing I could think of is again we went over you know just the different things he was going through. But also Jezebel probably did back up her smack. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And but still, it doesn't matter if they're a smack backer upper or not. <laughs> you know, you cannot you don't allow intimidation because intimidation is actually a form of witchcraft. So you have to be really careful. And, and you know, there's a good lesson for people like me where if people try to intimidate, I will instantly be like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, like, no. <laughs> I mean, that's, and so you don't want to, he answered his enemy softly at first, right? And I think there's a, even Jesus said, agree with your enemy while you're, you know, because you don't want unnecessary attacks so there's wisdom in answering an enemy softly at times while you get your strategy, but also not being intimidated and maybe talk a little smack yourself. I just I just can't help but uh, think about um, when we sent the uh, missile when uh, President Trump was in there. The mother and, of all bombs? Yeah, and we sent that. And then China was over in the White House, and he told him about the it over chocolate time. cake. I know. <laughs> And I thought, you know, that is a way to make your case. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to go over. Mm -hmm. you, so when you're saying, you know, and then on the other hand, we had Obama cross the slide. Russia, you're, I'm after his apology the tour. Sand, and uh, Russia could care less because right. he had nothing behind him. Well, and same that. thing with this guy. I mean, we've got seven missiles that have been released just in January by North Korea. Uh, but it's the art of war, yes. right? Which I found out that was, that's a book that President Trump would uh, either listen to or read every year. And so it's the psychological warfare. So can right. you imagine, you know, yeah. sitting with this fancy schmancy <laughs> dinner, dessert is served, or having a nice conversation with the dictator yeah. chief? Well, he had to excuse himself at you one know, point. Right? Yeah. Government business. 
excuses himself, sits down. Everything good? He takes a bite, chews it, and says, well, we just had to drop the mother of all bombs on ISIS. You know what I mean? Like, you can just picture, and I would just get a bite, you know, after that. So, it, it and, by the way, that came from our base, Moab. Oh, and ISIS is back. I didn't know if you guys knew that. They're back. Um, but it is, it's... It's it's the a strength that doesn't have to be exactly. bragged upon, you know. It's you don't have to say a word. You just get to work, right? And uh, I love that. I love that. That I laughed so hard. That was yeah. one of my favorites. And so, the media is like, can you imagine? I mean, what is President Chi thinking? He's thinking if I don't behave myself, I might find myself in a tussle with this guy. Well, the thing is, he did not have to go and have a whole bunch of uh, back and forth with China. Mm -hmm. China was there, said this man said he's going to do but it, and he did it. But you know, to so. China's credit, they also had a bought and paid for virus that they released. Yes, they did. They were very quiet on their plans. So, um, but yes, it's uh, I love to me. I probably shouldn't love. I, I find uh, things like that very masterful in the art of war. I, well, I really like that. The way I look at it is because I, you know, I've heard the back and forth on should we have dropped uh, the bombs on Japan and they wouldn't because, have stopped because it caused so many deaths but how many deaths did it prevent they had that, a number you know, at your book. yes yes we and then we dropped this Moab we dropped that mm -hmm. but how many deaths did it prevent because mm -hmm. they were they were killing their own people yeah I mean you know yeah and uh, so anyway yeah. yeah sometimes you have to just do things like That's that it. unfortunately because of man man's evil part yeah okay so verse 13 uh, you know so basically we're gonna find okay so behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and says, uh, said, Thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? <laughs> God's like, are you seeing what's happening here? Behold, I'm going to give it to your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, by whom? And I'm like, good grief. <laughs> anyway, Sorry. he said, but this is a neat plan. He said, thus says the Lord, by the servants of the governors of the districts. Now here's strategy. Okay, so this is what is happening. God is giving Ahab his strategy. And guess what? Those servants of the governors of the districts are in their house, right? So now we have a solution that is once again already there before the problem. So he said, well, who shall begin the battle? And he answered, you. <laughs> oh, goody, goody. Then he mustered the servants of the governors of the districts, and they were a total of 232. Not thousand, not million. 232. And after them, he mustered all the people of Israel, which were about 7,000. Okay, the first thing I want you to note is the role of the prophet. It's over and over and over the influence that we are supposed to have with leaders. I mean, it's all through Kings, it's all through Genesis. We're supposed to have influence with the leaders of the cities, uh, states, even the nation. And we should take that very, very seriously because I love the idea that President Trump had a spiritual council around him. But I also think that at times they gave him advice that actually caused him to pull back when he should have pushed because Christians get in this weird hippie style love, right? And uh, and they forget that the Lord drove people out with a whip. So I think that um, we, we must carry it very seriously 
if we're going to have influence uh, because we could have them make wrong decisions that cost us like we're experiencing now. And then I want to point out too that to Ahab's credit here, he's listening. He listens to the prophets. Mm -hmm. If it, his problem is sometimes he doesn't consult the prophets. Right. Sometimes he doesn't think. He just thinks in his own little world, or what do you want to call it? His uh, his narcissism. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or he listens to, you know, Jezebel. I don't know who he's listening to. But when the prophets speak, Ahab, I believe, to a time has listened. Yeah. You yeah. Know, In between it. potty or pouty pants and his <laughs> right. vegetable But garden. then when he knew yeah. he messed up, he repented. Man, that still freaks and me And here, out. you know, he's listening. Yeah, he is. And he executes the plan just like he says. And so, like, you won't you is this reason that God left him in for so long? It's because he actually listened, even though he's messed up over and over and over. But at times he actually listened. Well, and it could also be that God's extremely merciful. Well, I mean, he'll exactly. let people live for a long time just trying to reach them. Um, but we know some of them never listened. Right. They did the total opposite of what the prophets said to do yeah. or recommended. And But it seemed like Ahab at least had that ear maybe discernment or whatever that he could tell that that's because here he's talking about life and death I mean right. really yeah yeah I agree um, so the Lord uh, through his prophets points out the obvious fact there's a great multitude compared to uh, Israel but he's going to give victory why so he knows that God is Lord and uh, so then the servants now this is interesting it's a boy lad youth with special stress on youthfulness okay so basically God tells Ahab to collect 232 teenagers I think that's a little interesting okay uh, it also refers to a servant retainer or personal attendant so retainer, retainer is a servant who has served a family for many years it's also one who could be old enough to serve in battle or as a private, a personal private force. Uh, so governor here is chieftain, chief, ruler, an official, a captain, and a prince of their own districts within Israel. And it appears that these officials each sent their private security force on God's direction. Now this was brilliant because each governor stood to lose their wives and children so they were willing to send their own private force but also they were probably happy they weren't having to go to battle okay all right so verse uh, 16 so they went out at noon while Benadad was drinking himself drunk in the booths because he underestimated his enemy he and 32 kings who helped him the servants of the governors of the district went out first and Benadad sent out scouts and they reported to him men are coming out from Samaria so he said, well, if they've come out for peace, take them alive. If, if they come out for war, go ahead and take them alive too. <coughs> so these went out of the city, the servants of the governors of the districts and the armies that followed them, and each struck down his man. The Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. But Benadad, king of Syria, escaped on a horse with horsemen, and the king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots and struck the Syrians with a great blow. Now this is, this is very interesting. Okay, obviously they're drunk, so they're not thinking clearly, and they're probably running around like chickens with their head cut, cut off. But these either teenagers or private security forces, very young people, 
are fighting these servants that the Assyrians sent out and, and, and each one is killing their, their guy and it, and it causes the Syrians to flee. Um, I mean, the odds were stacked. So, uh, I mean, that's just really interesting. Okay. It's a mind game. If this little it boy is. can beat me as a man, then what's their man going to do to me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, you know. Well, and then, you know, to Ahab's credit as well, again, the, the very fact that Benadad's <laughs> going after him is Ahab is ruling well. He's prospering Israel. Because if it wasn't for that, he probably wouldn't have been interested. But here's the key what that I think Benadad did. He activated a spiritual law. In Proverbs 16 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haunty spirit before a fall. So again, you know, he was picking a fight with God where he thought he was picking a fight with Ahab. But the war wasn't over. So in verse 22, you know, they, they, they deal a great blow against the Syrians. The prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Come, strengthen yourself and consider well what you have to do, for in the spring this king of Syria will come up against you. That's a nice prophetic word. But here is a key. Okay, so it shows the different ways that God delivers, right? So the first time... You know, he sends servants, they're defeated in a surprise attack. But now he's like, okay, he's going to come back, get your plan. You've got to have a plan. <coughs> so we got to understand one of the keys is sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we need a quick plan and supernatural deliverance, or we're warned of something that's coming so we can prepare. Both are supernatural. Okay? So you want to make sure you listen because wisdom is doing what you have to do before you have to do it. And that's how God works as well. And I think for some, especially in charismatic circles, they fly by the seat of their pants, you know? And then they find themselves in trouble. They could have maybe prevented the trouble uh, completely. So they've got to get their plan because he's going to come back, probably when he sobers up in spring. So that tells me that not only did Benadad have pride, he also went out to wage war at a time when kings didn't. So that's kind of interesting because kings would usually fight in the spring. Okay, so verse 23, And the servants of the kings of Syria said to him, Their gods are the gods of the hill, so they're, str hills, so they're stronger than we, but let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we'll be stronger than they. And do this, remove the kings each from his post, and put commanders in their places. And muster an army like the chariot that you have lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, and then we'll fight against them in the plain. Surely we'll be stronger than they. And they listened to their voice and did so. Okay, so due to Ahab's disloyalty, they had a lot of idols. So for the Syrians, the, they're, they're guessing that the reason they lost is because they were in the hills and that's where their gods dwell. So now they need to move it to the plain, which is, I guess, their god. Now, that's, number one, dumb warfare because uh, you never want to fight from a lower advantage point. But that's, that's their, their reasoning, okay? So, uh, in verse 26, it says, In the spring, Benadad mustered the Syrians, and he went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the people of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went against them. 
the people of Israel encamped before them like, get this, two little flocks of goats. <laughs> but the Syrians filled the country. So even with their preparation, they're still little bitty army. And then you have the Syrians. And, uh, and that's why you know, people are like, well, you know, we don't want to get in a, a war with China. They million-man army, blah, blah, blah. Well, if God is for us, we'll be protected. I don't care how many people they have. And so numbers are not what's most important as long as we have God on our side, which could be in question at the moment. Okay, so a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, thus says the Lord. So here we have a prophet again. Because the Syrians have said, the Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, <laughs> I will give all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so they encamped opposite one another seven days. Then on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the people of Israel struck down the Syrian <coughs> Syrians 100,000 foot soldiers in one day. And the rest fled into the city of Aphek, and the wall fell upon 27,000 <coughs> men that were left. Uh-huh. Okay. This is nuts. Okay, so again, they're prepared to fight, they're provisioned, they definitely listen to the prophets. Now we have another prophet saying, go ahead and strike. So the ninja sheep struck the big bad Syrian wolf and killed off their army and the wall. Did the wall come down because they pushed it down or did the wall come down because God brought it down? We don't know. We just know that a wall uh, took out the remaining 27,000. Okay, so that, I mean, that's just amazing. So Benadad, he also fled, and then he entered an inner chamber in the city. And his servant said to him, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the excuse me, house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us put sackcloth around our waist and rope on our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they tied sackcloth around their waist and put ropes on their heads and went to the king of Israel and said, your servant, my dad, says, please let me live. And he said, does he still live? He is my brother. Now the men were watching for a sign, and they quickly took it from him and said, yes, your brother, my dad. Then he said, go up and bring him. So my dad came out to him and caused him to come up into the chariot. And my dad said to him, the cities that my father took from your father I will restore, and you may establish bazaars for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab says, uh, said, I will let you go on these terms. And so he made a covenant. <coughs> okay. Um, he probably should have killed him, but here's an interesting side note. Benadad means son of God. Uh, Hadad itself also means joy, no, noise, and clamor. So I wanted to point out we're in a decade that's a war over sound. Now, I find that very interesting. He's called Son of God, and he makes a bunch of noise, but he was the enemy. Okay? And so we've got to have discernment. Just because someone appears to be a Christian, or they appear to be a reasonable or whatever, we've got to pay attention because they may be giving us a deceptive sound. Okay. So a certain man, here we go again, of the sons of the prophets said to his fellow at the command of the Lord, Strike me, please. But the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Behold, you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Behold, as soon as you have gone from me, a lion will strike you down. And as soon as he had departed from him, a lion met him and struck him down. 
Then he found another man and said, Strike me, please. And the man struck him, struck him and wounded him. So the prophet departed, and he waited for the king, by the way, disguising himself with a bandage over his eyes. Okay, so now this is what's going on. Let me just tell you what's going on here. Yeah, it's confusing. <laughs> this one gets me. So the prophet wants to speak to Ahab, but he needs to have a wound so he can disguise himself. When the first guy, obviously, is an S, wouldn't strike the man, what? I ain't going to hit you. Fine, you'll get eaten by a lion. Whoa, 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 whoa. So I'm not sure, you know, what the dynamic here is with a prophet and the public, but maybe give a little bit of coaching before you send a lion to eat him. I don't know, just saying, right? So he gets, I mean, people think I'm mean sometimes. I'm like, I ain't mean. You haven't been eaten by a lion. Okay. For <laughs> not hit me. That's the deal. I'm not, I know. I'm not abusing you. Right. And you know what? I've been eaten by the lion. Oh, you just hit me. Right, you're what? crazy. He ain't hitting you. So anyway. Okay, so he gets wounded. He disguises himself with a bandage over his eyes. As the king passed, he cried to the king, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle. Behold, a soldier returned, soldier returned and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you will pay it a talent of silver. And as your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. So the king of Israel said, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. So he hurried to take the bandage away from his eyes. And the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I devoted to destruction, therefore your life will be for his life and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house and was pouty pants uh, when he got there. You can read it right there in verse 43. Okay, here's the deal. He was supposed to eliminate the sound. He was supposed to eliminate the noise, the clamor that was in contradiction. Pride comes before a fall, hauntiness before destruction. Ben and dad paid to fight with God. God wanted him completely wiped out. Ahab didn't do that because he wanted the cities. He could have gotten the cities anyway if he would have struck down the king. He could have then invaded and gotten Damascus and all of them anyway. But instead, he took the easy way out. Okay? He didn't want to put forth the effort or whatever it was. So he was supposed to have killed the son of noise, the son of clamor, because God had devoted him to destruction. Now, the word devoted is similar to the Greek word anathema. But listen to this and why he was devoted to destruction. The definition is, quote, a thing hostile to, to theocracy and therefore to be destroyed. Okay, theocracy is the rule of God. So Benadad wasn't just a king going after more land. He was a king who launched a holy war against the God of Israel. Okay? He was hostile to God. He was hostile to his government on earth. Death was required because once a ruler is set upon waging war against God and his people, it is almost impossible to turn him or her. Okay? It's demonic and it's the spirit of Antichrist. So we've got people, that, that's why I tell people, you know, and it's probably why you're working on my uh, uh, scrapbook of scoundrels was so important because 
to me, these people are after God mm -hmm. in our government. They're after God. And it's really hard to not be like, okay, go ahead and bring it. Because your demise is going to be for sure. Like, yeah, And that's not the attitude we need to have in a new covenant relationship, right? The age of grace. But at the same time, we must be aware that there may be times where we will have to come into agreement with the judgments of the Lord, um, good or bad, and pray those in. Well, I thought it's interesting that he, he called and listened to the strategies to beat, but then when he, he after he had won, yep. then he just didn't even bother to consult God again, right. or, you know, the prophets or whatever, right. that he just did what he wanted. Well, and there's also partial obedience because God let him know he wanted Benadad right. dead. And uh, so that's why praying for the people that are um, anti-God, anti-Christ, Pelosi, Kamala, uh, Biden, all of them, um, it's very important to pray, Hillary Clinton, uh, because these are specific people who are against God. The BLM uh, people that run it, Antifa, all of them. So eventually, if they don't repent, there will be a destruction that occurs in their lives. But... The, notice the prophet, he performed the same technique that Nathan did with David, right? By telling him a story that released a judgment for the king that was then turned on them as the very same judgment that they decreed. This is in Romans 2, 1 through 8. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you actually condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, this is not saying that we cannot release judgments in agreement and alignment with God's will. Because a lot of you know, don't judge me, don't judge me. Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to judge. Actually, we're supposed to judge. We're supposed to judge Christians. And we're supposed to judge specific behavior. Uh, so this, that's not what this is saying. What it's saying is, if you're going to release judgment, you better make dang sure that you're not doing the very thing that you're releasing judgment against. I see it all the time in mentoring. It's like, well, and so many but you people. do that. You did that very thing just a few minutes ago. You know, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And so many people want a word, want a word, want a word, so they can ignore the word. You're right. better not to have the word than they, to ignore it. ignore it. Absolutely. So he says, so we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, mm -hmm. O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So here's the thing with God's judgment. You never know when it's going to hit. Never. I mean, for us, we're not under His wrath. But for those that are making a war against Him, which is always seen in making a war against His people, always, uh, they never know if they'll wake up. They think they will, but they never know. If they'll wake up that day, if uh, some sudden destruction will come upon them. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes that says that man's heart grows more wicked when ju judgment is delayed. Mm 
Um, you've got uh, Jezebel in the New Testament, right? In the message to Thyatira where he said, I gave her time to repent and I've cast her into a sick bed, but I'm about to kill her. And why did he say, I'm going to kill her children? Because they're in her image. Her disciples were learning her behavior. Her children were in her image. So they had to be, uh, so that means that those people who were her children were also killed. And we know from our um, teaching on discipline that they had to be handed over to the jurisdiction of the one who kills, steals, and destroys. It wasn't God that killed them personally. So it's very important to understand these things. And um, our job is to obviously listen to Holy Spirit. And what is he saying right now for people that wage war against God? Is it time for them to be taken out? Or is God being long-suffering? Because there's a little tiny bit that might repent. Kind of like um, Paul. But it bothered his conscience. I don't know if it bothers these people's consciences, but it bothered him. That's why you know, the Lord's like, you know, it's hard to keep kicking against the goads. You know, it's causing you pain. That's your conscience saying, hey, something's wrong here. And so he was able to repent. But is it any different in the passion? or? Uh, okay. Pretty much. All right. Any other ideas or thoughts? Okay. Yeah, I just think there's a, we have to be very, do a self-check. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I That's so good, yeah. 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 I, I did a, I haven't recorded it yet, but I did a business podcast on blind spots. And, you know, how like in my car now, you know, if I, if there's a car next to me, it gives me an alert, right? And then the little thing comes on my mirror and on my car. But, um, you know, to, you know, often we don't have those as humans. And so I gave signs to know you're in a blind spot. But one way to prevent yourself from being on a blind spot is allowing people around you to speak into your life. You know, you have to be willing to have people have difficult conversations with you and adjust. Because we hear things really weird. You know, things can be said that that's not what was said. You can have the same event happen and people have five different version, versions of it, you know. So we've got to make sure we're thinking accurately because and examining. based on our own Filters. past experience. Yep. Yep. And what Roberta said to me may be the same words as what somebody that hurt me said to me. Yep. But it may not be anything in the same spirit. Yep. But I hear it as that yeah. hurtful Yeah. Way. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, and again, like I've always said, if your reaction to an event or a person is stronger than the perceived offense, it's probably something way back. Even how a person looks or sounds can actually be a trigger. Yeah. You know, you're like, I don't like that person. <laughs> Why? Why do you not like that person? Now, if they're obnoxious, yeah. that's one thing. So let's go ahead and uh, let's pray. So Father, we thank you so much for the ability to discern. Father, that's one of the gifts that is uh, bravely lacking in the church. I don't know why. I don't. Maybe we have focused that discernment is merely for the use of people's gifts and callings, or to discern the demonic activity that's in a situation. But Father, we've really got to begin to discern those who are anointed by you and those who aren't. You know, it's like Jehu, rough around the edges, was anointed to get rid of Jezebel. But Absalom, who was handsome, everybody loved. And he was not the rightful anointed king, even though he appeared more attractive than David. So, Father, we cannot go by what our eyes see or by reasoning. We must have 
discernment at all times. And so I ask, Father, that you begin uh, to strengthen that gift in us and in your people and the earth. I pray, Father, that even you give us witty strategies to Im improve that. Things that we can pick up on, discern, and then we can write down and you prove us correct or incorrect later. So we ask uh, for you to give us some ideas on that. And uh, Father, we thank you for your long suffering. We thank you that numbers mean absolutely nothing to you. It's obedience. It's obedience with your strategy. And so Father, help us, even in the guy that wanted the man to hit him, and he's like, no way. He got eaten by a lion. If he would have had discernment, he would have hit the prophet. It's better to hit the prophet when he says to than it is to get eaten. And so, Father, number one, I thank you we don't do that anymore. Number two, that's another example of having discernment and not allowing our own core values, triggers, and personality constraints, and even strengths prevent us from doing what you've called us to do. And so, Father, I ask that you help us with that. This morning we want to give our tithes and offerings to you. I absolutely love the fact that we can take a portion knowing that you own it all. But we can take a portion, give it to you, in complete joy, with cheerfulness, no obligation, no manipulation, no feeling guilty if we don't, we can give to you, and that sanctifies everything. And we, we also thank you, Father, that by giving you glory with our wealth, that actually creates an uncontainable container of joy that becomes the source of every blessing in our lives. That's Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. So I ask for that to increase in everybody that's under the sound of my voice and in this room. We thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to get my tithe ready.